This is Rewired Radio with Erica Spiegelman, addiction and wellness specialist, motivational speaker, and author, helping individuals, couples, and families regain a sense of control, leading to personal growth, wellness, and a more fulfilling life. Here's Erica Spiegelman. Welcome, everyone. New research from Recovery Brands finds that 70% of people who go into rehab are in a romantic relationship and that 80% of those people continue their relationship after their partner completes treatment. Addiction and recovery can be very taxing on relationships as both parties work to balance caring for themselves and supporting each other. My guest today, Candice Platter, specializes in working with families whose loved ones struggle with addictive behaviors. Uh, Candace is here today to talk to us about how people can maintain and thrive in romantic relationships while working through addiction and getting on the path to recovery. Candace, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Hi, everyone. So, you you know, you specialize with working with families uh, worldwide, right, whose loved ones struggle with addictive behaviors, you know, yes, drug and alcohol abuse, eating disorders, internet addiction. There's so many things that we distract ourselves with today. And yes. um, yeah. And so so can you tell us just a little bit how you got started in this in this field and, and, and what this work, you know, what you've seen going on in, in this field lately? Sure. Um, Well, briefly, the way I got started was that um, in 1973, when Mm -hmm. I was in my 20s, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which, Mm. uh, if if anybody doesn't know, is an inflammatory bowel disease that can be quite painful and debilitating. And at the time, they really didn't know much about Crohn's. It was kind of the new disease on the block, you know, and... Mm -hmm. uh, what they did, what the doctors did, was they gave me all kinds of medication because they really didn't know what to do with me. And some of that medication were things like Valium and oh, Codeine and oh, Demerol, which would be today's Oxycontin. Mm-hmm. Um, and for about 15 years, week after week, month after month, they just kept refilling those prescriptions for me. And at the same time, I discovered that pot made me feel a whole lot better. Mm -hmm. So I became addicted to all of them because pretty much anybody's body would get addicted to all of that. So (laughs) I had no idea what was going on for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I was was high-functioning, I was working, but I was kind of in a blur all the time. And then... um, there came a time about 15 years after being diagnosed when I had a breakdown and I, my body just couldn't handle this anymore. And emotionally, I couldn't handle this anymore. And I went for help. I asked for help. So that was in 1987. And at that point, there wasn't a whole lot of help out there. There was, there was AA, there was NA, uh, which basically saved my life at the time. And um, I went into treatment, uh, rehab, you call it there, I think. Yeah. And, uh-huh. um, and I did basically what I was told to do, one step at a time, when one foot in front of the other. Right. And coming up this July, I will be 30 years clean and sober. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. So I know about addiction from that perspective. I know a lot about it. Um, I've been working in the field as an addictions therapist for the last 25 years or so, maybe a bit Mm -hmm. longer. 
and I began working um, in Vancouver. I'm in Vancouver, Canada, and we have an area in Vancouver called the Downtown East Side, which is where almost all of the homeless and addicted people live in Canada. I've seen and that. And I started there, yeah. working there. Worked there for 16 years as an adult as an addictions um, specialist. Mm-hmm. and worked primarily with the addicts and alcoholics there until their loved ones started to call me and say, I'm at the end of my rope and I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And so I started working with them, and that became probably, I guess, that became my passion, you could say. And since then, I've written uh, two books. The first one was Loving an Addict, Loving Yourself, the top 10 survival tips for loving someone with an addiction and the workbook that goes with it. And they both won awards and, you know, much to my own surprise because it took me a long time to stop seeing myself as an addict. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. the, the fact that I could do anything that would contribute to society was quite new for me. Um, but I, I, I specialize in this now and I work with loved ones and I work with addicts, but I only work with addicts now if they're part of a family that, that, uh, that I'm working with, uh, mm-hmm. because I think you probably know you're, you're working in this field too, Erica, that just working with the addict doesn't bring the transformation and the success that families want. Right. Right. Well, it's also, you know, it's really, it's really important when I, when I work with clients is, is to teach them that it's okay that their identity changes and their role changes in the family. And, and, and like, you know, the statistic of 80% of people, or or, I'm sorry, or 70% of people that go into rehab are in relationships and come out of it, you know, still, still in the relationship. That means that, you know, your role has changed. You're not the addict. You're not the sick one. You're not the person that is struggling anymore, hopefully, you know? And so, and so those, those kinds of things I always try and, and cognitively kind of, um, bring up and explain and and make sure that everybody is aware that these changes could possibly be coming and not to, you know, not to be confused by them. I think education is so key when I work with families is is explaining why why addiction is addiction. You know, I have so many family members that are, you know, really confused and thinking, why, why does this person that I love keep doing this to me? You know, and And why don't they just stop? Right. Of course. Well, yeah. that, of course. Right. Why don't you just stop? Well, it's yeah. not as simple as that. And, and, and to kind of explain the bio, psychosocial, emotional, you know, all of it, all the reasons. Uh, all of, of it. Of what it yep. Yeah. So you, you have your hands full. And so do I <laughs> when it comes to explaining. Oh. But but I'm yeah. sure. Can you can you kind of maybe shed light if anyone is listening out there, a family member? How do you start with explaining this and, and maybe, you know, offering your expertise since you've been doing this so long and, and have such a great success at this? Mm. Well, I really believe that in a family or a partnership that if we want to stop addiction, we need to stop enabling the addict. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's a very big part of how I work. Because people, people come to me and they say, you know, enabling is a kind of a buzzword in our profession. Some people don't know what it means. And there's a difference between helping somebody with an addiction and enabling somebody with an addiction. So if you're a loved one and you're doing things like um, giving the addict that you love money, uh-huh. you, you know where that money is going to go. It's not right. a good idea, and it's not really loving toward the addict to do that anyway, 
because mm-hmm. it keeps the addiction going. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're doing that kind of thing, if you're allowing somebody to, you know, like an adult child perhaps living at home who's sleeping all day and up all night, out all night, uh, getting angry with you when you talk to him, uh, punching holes in the walls and, you know, mm-hmm. doing stuff like that and not contributing to the family at all, that's enabling. Mm-hmm. The standard, mm-hmm. the bar is set too low. Right. And so what what loved ones need to learn how to do is set that bar higher from a place of love. It's, you know, the message is that I I love you and I love you so much. And I love you so much that I'm not willing to support you in active addiction anymore because right. I, I see that that's not good for you. Mm-hmm. What I am willing to do when you get when you when you're ready to get help I'm willing to be there for you as much as I'm able to. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'm not willing to support you in active addiction, but I certainly will in active recovery once you're ready to be there. And so I help families and partners um, get, I help them get the partner ready, get the addict ready for help. That's usually Mm -hmm. how it goes. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's fantastic. And and then and then sometimes, you know, obviously people that are adult children of alcoholics or children of alcoholics or you know, these terms are also mm. a little buzzy, but I you know, I to 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 have a parent or or a husband or a wife that is using and you're you're not the addict too, it's so important for those people to have support, to get help, to, to Oh, to, it's so important and there's so process. little You know, right. what I what I like to tell people is that for for every one addict, regardless of the addiction, across mm-hmm. the board, for every one addict, yeah. there are usually about 10 to 20, maybe more, people yeah. who are affected by this addiction. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, you've got an addict and you've got a mother and a father and a brother mm-hmm. and a sister and grandparents and uncles and aunts and mm-hmm. co- colleagues and, and yep. bosses and doctors and therapists and people right. who are affected. You know, I think that when we go into, when we walk down the street or we go into someplace like a coffee shop, mm-hmm. people aren't wearing a sign on their forehead saying, I am affected by somebody's addiction. But I don't have a statistic for it, but I would say yeah. like 95, 99% of people yeah. are either affected by an addict's addiction or they know someone who is. Right. So Absolutely. it's very rampant. And the shame that has been. Um, you know, the, the shame that people's been, people have been feeling about addiction really needs to end as well. And that's probably, you know, what you're talking about with the education. Mm-hmm. When loved ones know that they're not alone, because often they don't talk about it, mm-hmm. it changes their lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when they have someone to talk to, some help that they can receive from somebody skilled to help them, it changes their lives and it changes the lives of the addict that they love. Ah, so it's, absolutely, it's so powerful, and 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 it's so true. It's it, you know everybody needs a community and support, and to feel like they could relate and feel like they're heard. And you know the the shame and the stigma of an addiction. I think. Um, you know, now more than ever, there's so many great platforms like recovery, you know, these recovery brands and they have all recovery.org. Oh, yeah, org, you know. fabulous resource. If you don't know, if you're listening in and you don't know about recovery.org, um, you got to go there. 
you got to mm-hmm. go there. They've got so yeah. many great resources there. I write for them as well, but there, there's you know, there's online stuff, there's groups, there's pl- different kinds of platforms. Great resource. Right. And that's what I was saying is that these days, you know, it's obviously a counselor or a therapist is fantastic to find. And but also you have these online outlets that are really incredible in terms of connecting with other people that could be going through the same things as as yourself. And 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 there's no shame again in 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 asking for help whether you are the addict or you're the loved one of an addict to, to ask for help is really, you know, something where I think do, trying to do this alone or willing it, willing it on your own or any of that, it, you know, even though that may feel courageous, that's not always the courageous, you know, decision in this because sometimes we, we, we blame ourselves, we personalize, we assume things and it's all in our heads, you know, about why someone's doing something. Um, yeah. So to, to get an other, you know, like you said, to, to get another person's opinion, especially a professional is, is I think the best thing it could do. It can be amazing, you know, because if nothing changes, <laughs> I yeah. love that saying, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Nothing changes. And right. if, you keep, if you've always, if you always do, this is the other way to put it, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what, you all, what you've always gotten. And so if you're thinking about, well, I can't really reach out and ask anybody for help, you, you really need to be looking at what do I want in my life? Because if you don't reach out for help, if you don't get what you need as a loved one, mm-hmm. nothing's going to change for the addict. Because think about it. If an addict continues to be enabled, if you're doing some behaviors as a loved one that you don't even, you don't even know what to do and you're maybe doing some things that aren't helpful and, and you keep doing those things, if an addict is enabled... Why should they change? Right. Right. right? So mm-hmm. we need to we need to start doing some different behaviors and coming out of some of the comfort zones and learning some new things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and, but it, and across the board with every relationship, enabling like you, the first example you said with money is a great example. And also, though, but people don't see this too, enabling with this unconditional love like you know use unconditional love for over always offering help okay but but some people feel like you know especially you know when I was when I was I'll be coming up on 10 years uh, of not drinking and um, yes and and my mom I remember always you know she's so loving she's the one that pushed me to get help um, and and to take a look at, at what was going on but I remember for years before that she loves me so much and unconditionally that she would enable me with her love like you know she'd say you know you need help but but then she'd feel bad and and then kind of coddle me again and and give me more love and and I would always think to myself well she's never gonna really put her foot down she always loves me so we can enable with love too we can enable with rescuing people we don't want them to feel bad we don't want them to feel you know, abandoned or, or that we're mad mm. at them or that, you know, and so with addiction, though, I mean, this goes on in everyone's lives, whether you're dealing with, you know, addiction or you're dealing with a friendship or whatever's going on is, is we, we stay in these roles when we, we enable a behavior. So, you know what I mean? So it's, 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 it, I just want people I, to be aware of that too, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's really important. I love what you just said. And I, I think it's really important to to think about love in a different kind of way because yeah. yes we love our addicted loved ones i'm an, i'm a loved one of addicts as well as you know as well as being an addict and being a professional i know it inside mm-hmm. out but what i what i really understand today is that e- even though i do love the addict if i'm enabling that is not a loving act 
Right. I'm not helping the addict recover if I'm enabling. Right. So even though I love him, her, them, I'm not helping them. And that's not a loving act. Mm -hmm. So I I hear where your mother was coming from, and I've been there, been there, done Mm -hmm. that. I I know where she was coming from, and I know that she loved you. And Mm -hmm. I also know that some of this may have been meeting her own needs as well. And we, as loved ones, we have to, we have to look at when I'm enabling, is it because I don't want the addict to get mad at me? Is it because if I don't, I'm afraid the addict will leave and never come back. Like, are we, are we meeting our own needs by enabling? We have to look at that. We have to mm-hmm. be willing to be reflective inside and become more self-aware so that we can change what we're doing that isn't working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes those those you know like, like those those reinforce the same roles on their part too. That I am the you know I'm the warrior. I'm the greatest. You know, there's there there's such a reinforcement of our roles too, on such like a subconscious level. That mm-hmm. you're right. We have to look at the secondary gain in things. What is that gain for that person That's that is right. enabling? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. with in terms of romantic relationships, because I've, you know, I've counseled people that have actually left rehab and, and um, I do phone sessions with them all, you know, a lot of people across the country, even when they don't live near mm-hmm. me, we still continue to do therapy over the phone. And, and I've, I've helped and seen a lot of people actually get divorced or end relationships as well as I've seen things, you know, get better and mend, mend themselves and heal. But, but, but regardless of, of what the outcome is of the relationship, I think no matter what, um, kind of reassessing, you know, like it's almost like people are reborn again, I feel like, and they're reassessing what their values are on such a deep core level. You know, like I, I, I value now integrity and there wasn't integrity in this relationship before, you know, it was chaotic or I value now honesty, I value freedom and I didn't have freedom, you know, whatever it is, I think these core values that we all individually have to begin to look at, especially yeah. coming out, out of an experience like, like, a, like a treatment or, or something of that nature where we've significantly changed and left behind an old part of ourselves, let's say, is so important. Would, do you feel like that, that comes up a lot? I think it does come up a lot because we really get entrenched in those comfort zones. And I have a, a fridge magnet that I love that says that life begins at the end of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And I think it really does. I don't think we can, uh, you know, comfort zones are comfortable, but they're not necessarily very healthy. And mm-hmm. so when we stay entrenched in a comfort zone, we don't get to the place that we probably really want to get to, which is recovery and health and, and, and feeling good about ourselves, self-respect. That's something that I work with a lot. I see it diff- differently than self-esteem. Um, and I think that, that addicts and partners of addicts both need to come to a place of a better understanding of self-respect because many of them didn't have any of it to begin with. This may be a whole new concept for them. Right, absolutely. And, and as the you're way you know, it, the, yeah. the other mm-hmm. thing, the other thing about these relationships and 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 treatment or rehab, um, sometimes by the time an addict gets into rehab, they've been waiting a while, mm-hmm. and the addiction has gone on for a long time, and everybody's pretty desperate, mm-hmm. and ultimatums have been given, and addicts go into treatment thinking. This is a magic answer. Yeah. This is the magic wand, the magic pill. And I'm going to spend, you know, 30 days 
which isn't nearly long enough in my opinion, but they spend 30 days, sometimes they spend two weeks, sometimes oh, a little longer, 60 days, 90 days, and I'm going to come out and I'm going to be brand new and I'm going to be, everything's going to be tickety-boo, everything's going to be just <laughs> great, and the loved one believes that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't always happen that way. In fact, it often doesn't because it just scratches the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there's more work to do when one comes out of treatment. It's not the magic answer. No, no. This is an and ongoing... And so if a loved one yeah. is thinking that their addict is going to be really fine, everything's going to be great, there's a real disappointment that happens. And sometimes partners don't know how to deal with that, which is understandable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. You're right. There, there's so there's so many expectations from certain people. And yeah, it's, it's and and yeah. the you know it's a gold standard that's been held up for a long time of of rehab being pretty much 30 days for a whole lot of money that a lot of people can't afford. Mm-hmm. Um, and in many, probably most uh, treatment centers, at least it's here in Canada, and I think it's the same in the states that. There isn't a whole lot that's been done with the family. Mm-mm. No some family of these, programs. Some of these places have like a week long family, you know, where they're they're educating people for a week about what is codependency and that kind of thing. But there's no real counseling happening, yeah. and yeah. they they you know the 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 loved ones haven't really gotten the help they need, and often the addict goes into rehab, and the loved ones get nothing. Yeah, yeah. So but they're that's pretty why, but, much the same right. as they were right. when the addict went into rehab, and the addict comes out with a little bit more self-awareness that the loved one doesn't have because they haven't gotten the help that they need. Everybody right. is affected, and everybody needs to heal. Right, and so that's but that's what we're saying today is, is anyone listening is to 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 get help for yourself if you are a family member or a friend or you're, you're, you're somehow connected to somebody who is dealing with addiction, it's so imperative and important to get the help that you need. Or even, you know, reading your book would be fantastic too. There's, you know, loving an addict, loving yourself, survival yeah. tips. I mean, it, there, there's so much, there's, there's so much out there that could, could be of, of help for these people. And mm-hmm. when you were talking before, I just wanted to ask you this too, it, it, whether it's a relationship <clears throat> Um, from people that, you know, are affected by addiction or it's just a regular uh, relationship that is starting to be unhealthy or, or or we find ourselves in different interpersonal relationships across the board our whole lives, friendships, work relationships, romantic relationships. But why do people, and I get this question a lot, and maybe you have some uh, some answers around this, but why do people stay in uncomfortable or unhealthy relationships, even though it, it, it's their comfort zone? You know, why do people stay, you know, why do people feel that that comfort zone that, that is chaos, that is maybe abuse, <clears throat> that is, well, why do we stay in it, you know, um, when it's not serving us any longer? Do, mm. do you have any insight to that? Just I do, I think. <laughs> yes, I um, thought you may. You know, I think it's also important to think about why we get into those in the first place. And often people will say, well, I didn't know. I didn't know he had, a, he had an addiction. I didn't know she was spending money all the time. I didn't know, you know, until later on in the relationship. But if, they're really, if they really go back and think about it, there were red flags that mm-hmm. they just kind of decided to not see. Right. Because when people grow up in homes that are dysfunctional, Mm-hmm. And most of us do because nobody's perfect. No parents are perfect. Yeah. 
right. including us, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. The the things that they learn, this is how people get into their comfort zones. What you learn growing up becomes part of who you feel like you are, and that needs right. to change as well, and that can change with help, absolutely. But until that happens, when um, when a woman, for example, who is already a people pleaser, is already a codependent. I know I'm kind of being sexist here, but I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. just as an example, a woman, more women are codependent than men in our society, although there there are many men who are as well. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you get a woman who's used to putting somebody else's needs ahead of her own Mm -hmm. on a fairly consistent basis. And you get a man, for example, who, um, it has an addiction, who has a sense of entitlement, who was raised to feel like the little prince, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. they see each other across a crowded room. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's and they like, start to, wow. Yeah. Right, right. And right. then the woman starts to think, well, but I'm, I'm seeing these red flags, but I can change him. Yeah, My love will change him. And right. that's a fallacy. Yeah. That's not how it works. It's what we're taught. So it makes yeah. sense that we think that, but mm-hmm. it's not how it works. Right. Because we need, you know, recovery is an inside job. We need to do it for ourselves and we need to do it because we get to a place of wanting to do it. Right. Exactly. Not because somebody's issuing an ultimatum to us. Right. Exactly. Oh, Candace, you have so many, so much wise, wise advice for our audience. And, and it was such a pleasure talking to you today. I'm going to give everybody your uh, website. It's it's Candice Plator, and it's C-A-N-D-A-C-E-P-L-A-T-T-O-R.com, right? And you can find her writing at recovery.org. Um, and people it's can reach out to you. Corner, pro Corner, yeah. if they want to read some of my uh-huh. articles there, yeah. Okay, good. Do you want yeah. to give any more information out? Well, I, I want to let people know that, um, that I'm putting soon an online program um, on for people who would like to learn more about how to be a healthy loved one of an addict. So that's going to go up in probably about a month or so. If you uh, can come to my website, sign up for my newsletter, then uh, you can find out all these things. But okay. This- Half hours gone so fast. I've I know. We'll have we'll have you back on, and it was such a such a pleasure. Uh, everyone, thank you for joining me today. You're listening to Rewired Radio on Radio MD. I'm Erica Spiegelman. Stay well. <laughs>